before, nor was there anyone among them that lacked. For all who were, who, who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as everyone had need. Father, in Jesus' name, have your way. Amen. So good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. As we continue our series of messages, I've entitled The Blueprint, The Blueprint. We've been talking about a portrait of the New Testament church from the book of Acts. And we've learned so far that we must assume the position. The Bible said they gathered in the upper room for 10 days and they were praying on one accord, they were praying and praising. The assumed position is prayer and praise. That's what, when I say assume the position, start praying. And praising. We learned in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came and Jesus had promised in Acts chapter 1, he said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Turn the power on. Turn the power on. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, and the Bible said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The power was turned on. In Acts chapter 3, we learn that there was a man who was seated or placed at the entrance of the gate going into the temple, and he was lame from birth for 40 years. And we discovered that our miracle is just a prayer away are just a yes away. Your miracle is just a yes away. Not everybody was excited that the apostles were preaching the resurrected Jesus. The Sanhedrin had Peter and uh, John uh, taken into custody, and they threatened them, and they said, we don't have a problem with miracles. You can preach and teach as long as you don't preach and teach in Jesus' name. And Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other name given unto men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. And so sometimes you have to stand up when people are stepping on you. You have to stand up. We need to choose to obey the word of God after we clarify the issues. Choose to obey God. Choose to obey the word of God while we continue to love people we disagree with. We don't have to love you because of your lifestyle. God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. Somebody say amen. amen. Today we're going to be talking about giving to the needy and not to the greedy. In March of 19 or 1872, on the 1st of March, Yellowstone Park became the first national park for all to enjoy. And recently they 
Yellowstone Park was celebrated for 150 years of existence. Uh, it's the largest uh, national park in the world. There's some 2.2 million acres of land for visitors to camp and to explore. Uh, uh, you don't have to run out and go to Yellowstone Park after I've just given you a, an infomercial. But one of the things that you'll see when you're at Yellowstone Park, there are going to be various signs. And a sign that is frequently on display is do not feed the bears. Do not feed the bears. I was curious as to why would there be a problem with giving a little grub to the bears. And I read a, an account that occurred some years ago. The sign was placed, do not feed the bears, because over a period of time, hundreds of bears were found dead on the side of the road mysteriously. And after doing some investigation, it was discovered that the reason the bears were dying is they died from starvation. They starved because tourists were giving them so much food during the tourist season that when they were no longer at the park, the bears forgot how to feed themselves. And so they starved waiting to be fed. Sometimes we can hurt people that we're trying to help. When you do for them something that they could and should do for themselves. Uh, we call that enabling. Sometimes it's codependency. We get something out of helping people that should be helping themselves. We feel better about ourselves that we're helping them because they could, but they won't. That's a counseling session. <laughs> Generations of families have been destroyed by a modern version of economic slavery called public assistance. This system determines where you can live, what you can afford to eat, how much you can earn, how safe your neighborhood is. Uh, the stuff that's going on in North Philadelphia is not happening in the suburb. It's not. It's mass killing and just, well, now that some of it is creeping over into the suburb, something's going to happen. Some changes will be made. Your, 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 if you, public assistance can determine where you go to school, what kind of medical care you receive or don't receive. It will also determine how long you live and even where you can be buried. Now, while public assistance is, can be temporarily helpful to those who need it, depending on, depending on it, for a permanent source of income can be deadly and bring about on generations an economic curse that has gripped our, our communities 
in such a way that you have a vicious cycle of poverty, where there's poverty, there's lack of education, where there's lack of education, there's an unemployment, where there's lack of, where there's lack of jobs, now you've got violence, you've got drugs, you've got hopelessness, and all of that is tied into giving to people who could get for themselves, but have learned that it's better to get it for free, and it's, it, not, nothing is ever free. Now, when we expect something for nothing from others, we are displaying a spirit of entitlement. Now, this is, this is not just about poverty. I believe that we have raised a generation of children who feel entitled. You have it, and therefore, it's mine. If you got it, it's mine. Your money is an extension of my bank account. And, and so the spirit of entitlement says that I want I deserve, and what I deserve I can handle, so give it to me, no questions asked. A spirit of entitlement says, I deserve something for nothing. It demands from God and others what they, God and others, are not obligated to give you. No one, owe, my, my mother used to say this all the time, nobody owes you anything. Amen. God owes us nothing. It makes God the debtor and you the lender. The spirit of entitlement is, is putting your fist in God's face and declaring by that act, God, you owe me. You owe me. Nowhere in the word of God are we ever told that anybody's entitled to anything. If anything, the Bible says it's because of his mercy that are new, every day we're not consumed. If we got what we deserve, we would be consumed. Paul said, but for the grace of God, so go I. And so as we look at the landscape of the world that we live in, the communities that we live in, there's so much desperation and poverty and begging and lacking and needing. As a church, as a Christian, we need to know from the word of God as the first century church knew, who do you help? Sometimes who you don't help includes your own children. Sometimes your response to the people that are closest to you needs to be a hard no. A hard no. God doesn't owe us happiness, health, and wealth. He's already given us everything that we need. In Acts chapter 4, we discover that when financial support was needed, the leadership distributed resources as the need was made known. The church met need. Now, turn your attention to verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 32 through 35, and I'm going to read that again, and, 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 and I want you to rest your eyes on the two verses where it says, as the need was made known, and that's not the exact wording, but listen as I read. All believers had one heart and mind. No one claimed that anything that they possessed was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the, Apostle Paul, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them God's work was so powerfully at work in them all. And here it is, verse 34. That 
there were no needy persons among them. In verse 35 again, it was distributed to everyone who had need. They distributed resources to the needy, not to the greedy. And so we need to be able to make that distinction even as we are developing our children to learn how to work with their hands, how to, to, to finish what they start, not to expect for someone to do for them what they are capable of doing. Now, I'm not saying you should have your two-year-old cooking dinner. I ain't saying you, <laughs> you didn't cook dinner again. No, 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 no. Based on the development of your child, the Bible says a parent, train up your child in the way that they should go. I've never uh, saw any child that ever grew up on their own making their, making their own beds up. Children are naturally lazy. The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And the reason that they learn to be, to, to, to be industrious, to learn how to discipline themselves, is because parents teach them. And God never called the parent to be a politician. He called you to be a parent. So they may not like it, but that's what God has placed you in their lives so they can learn it. Somebody say amen. Now, here's what the church, here's what the church is. There's two things I want to say today. I want to talk about what the church did to meet needs, and then secondly, how they did it, how they did it. When you go out of the church today and you drive up to that Wawa's and somebody meets you at the door and they dress better than you are and they put that hand out and say, can you help a brother out? Can you help a sister out? What should your response be? When you're driving off the 295 and you get on the 95 and you see these poor folks who are looking just uh, disheveled and so forth, they're sitting on the side of the highway and they will, will, will work for food, et cetera. What is your response to a Christian? Just roll up your window. Do you just drive by? What does God require? I'm glad you asked. Now, here's what I want you to notice. The scripture says that they were, when you go back to verse 29 through verse 31, the scripture says they were filled with the Spirit. Now, I say that, and some of you don't, they probably didn't, some of you didn't nudge because if the Holy Spirit said, let me fill you, some of us would be offended. If the Holy Spirit tried to fill us, we, if he slapped us in the face, we wouldn't know what being filled by the Spirit is. The Bible says, but be ye filled, be ye controlled, be ye yielded, dependent, relying upon, activated, captivated, motivated, controlled by the Spirit. And so when I am being filled by the Spirit, that means I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm being directed by the Spirit. Gee, the Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons and the daughters of God. We need to be led or filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but it also says, this I say, walk in the Spirit. I read that, I quote that scripture. Walk in the Spirit. Be controlled, be yielded to, dependent upon, because, because the flesh, our old nature, and our new nature are at war. Two natures, two conflicting entities inside of all of us that are at war. So the first thing that's going to happen, if we're going to be discerning, we need to be filled with the Spirit. It's a decision. 
It's a decision. We talk, you got to come to Bible study to learn what the works of the flesh are. Go to Galatians chapter 5, uh, uh, beginning in ver- somewhere around verse 12 up to verse, uh, through verse 17. And these are the works of the flesh are made manifest. Some of us are calling ourselves God-fearing, God-loving, but you live in the flesh. The scripture actually says, don't be deceived in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 9 through 12, that, that, that many will say that I, I, I belong to the Lord. But he says, he, he goes through a whole list of sinful practices. And he said, if you live this kind of way and you have no convictions and there is no repentance, the Bible says, don't be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because you don't know Jesus. Christians are convicted when we sin. If you're comfortable in sin, you don't have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you aren't saved. You may be religious. You may be nice. You may know a couple Bible verses, but Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not that I say, scholar of religion, teacher of religion, esteem, elite among the religion, you're a member of the Sanhedrin. He said, marvel not that I say unto you, except you are born a second time. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so they were spirit-led. When's the last time the Spirit led you to do anything? Not your human spirit, the Holy Spirit. But that when, you, when the church is being directed and controlled by the Spirit, they said they were on one accord. One accord. The devil understands something very powerful. A house that is divided against itself cannot stand. If the devil can get between you and your wife, your house is divided. If the devil can get between you and your, your, if you're involved in a relationship, if the devil, and here's how the devil gets in between. One is spiritual and the other one's carnal. How can two walk together unless they agree? They were on one accord. They also met needs. They distributed to everyone according to their need. I believe when the Holy Spirit is controlling the church and we're on one accord, People in the church won't have to ever worry about getting their monetary needs met. God does supernatural things. We don't necessarily publicize it, but behind the scenes, when the Holy Spirit is in control and there's one accord, unity, people are getting their needs met. And they gave sacrificially and impartially. Listen to this. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money and from the sales, and they put them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed according to each need. Let me just share some things about that. So they gave sacrificially and impartially. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. He said many of them, as they had possessions, they sold them. If you don't have no possessions, you can't sell nothing, Right? So God is not expecting anything from you that he hasn't given to you. Okay? So don't, don't feel bad if you don't have it. Just stop lying because you do have it and act like you don't. You haven't made a sacrifice until it hurts. When you start selling your property that you could put into your 401k, When you start saying, we want to move to this property 
in Middletown, and we waiting for those men down or women down at the bank to just, you know, shower down some money. But you say, I'm so committed to this ministry. I'm so invested to what God is doing here. I have been so changed and blessed that I'm willing to sell my property to make sure we get into God's house. <laughs> I'm willing to give a salary. I'm willing to drive in less. I know people who postpone purchasing this or that so that they could use, they made a pledge. In order to keep the pledge, they knew that they couldn't have this and keep the pledge, so they waited on that. To, and then God gave them more than that they were waiting for. If it's comfortable for you, you're not sacrificing. And, and some of us, you know, I don't know what you give, but you know, you know. Does it hurt a little bit? I, I wonder if Jesus was in pain when he was hanging on the cross. Did it hurt him a little bit when they were putting, putting those nails in his hand and piercing his side and hoisting him? I, 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 I surmise to you that he was willing to suffer great pain in order for you to gain what we wouldn't otherwise have if he hadn't suffered and died. If you're giving, if it doesn't hurt, then you're not sacrificing. Now, I didn't say give your rent. I didn't say uh, just don't pay your tuition. I didn't say that. You made all those bills, pay them. But one of the tricks of the devil is that we're spending all the Lord's money on ourselves, and so we're so broke, we can't even tithe. Oh, that's, not, that's next week's sermon, and I shouldn't say next week because you may not come back. Come on, church. Stay with the pastor. You must trust the leadership to properly distribute the funds. The Bible said they laid the money, the funds, at the apostles' feet. There's so many cons and, and, and ministries out there that have no connection to the scriptures. That before you start celebrating, I used to have this one, boom, blah, I just love our church, and I'm just such a blessing to us. And she was sending all of her tithes and offerings to Atlanta. To a former bishop who's not even alive. I said, no, no, I said, sis, you don't love the pastor or this church. You love the church in Atlanta, and that's where you need to be. Because what, what you support, where, the Bible says where a man's treasures are. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. That is where your heart is. What you put, where you send your money, is that what, that's what matters to you. And so... If, if it doesn't hurt a little bit, you're not sacrificing. Uh, let, me, let me share a third thing. The leadership, going back to that. If you're in this church, that means that one of the reasons why people aren't joining church today, they do not want to come under authority. They just want to float around. As long as I'm giving my tithe, as long as I get me a little Jesus, and man, didn't they get our praise on the day? And then you go home, you have no commitment, no obligation. Nobody's calling you. I can go, to, go here and there, do whatever you want. But the, there's no example in the entire New Testament of anybody that was saved that wasn't a part of a local church. That's outside the will of God. You shouldn't be dating a church. Oh, well, you know the pandemic. The pandemic didn't stop you from going to the football game, didn't stop you from going shopping, didn't stop you from going on the family reunion. You're doing everything you want to do. Stop lying. 
And so God has given us great leadership, people, elders who love God, who stand on the word, who are very deliberate about decision making here. So if you want to give and you're not sure, you give, you give what it is. You give. We, we support missions. We support people in a part of our church. We find out there's a need. Amen. We have elders that, that distribute the funds, and you trust them that they will honestly and, and, and partially make the need known. Here's another thing. They expected God to bless when they met needs. Listen to this. It says, watch what God does. With great power, the apostles continue to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was powerfully at work in them. When we are on one accord, filled with the Spirit of God, working through the leadership, God will begin to release supernatural miracles in his church. People's lives will be transformed. Great things happen when we do it God's way. That's what the church did. Now, how did they do it, and how can we effectively meet needs when we're not handicapping? It's kind of like a little boy looking out the window, and he saw this insect inside of a cocoon, and uh, this little swarmy maggot looking, I'm sorry, swarmy looking, trying to make its way out of the cocoon, and it was really struggling. And he came back an hour later, was still struggling and struggling, and, and it wasn't successfully getting out of the cocoon. And so the little boy said, let me help, let me help this little creature. And so he cut open the cocoon. And not long after that, he looked at, and then he saw that what was inside the cocoon actually transformed into a butterfly. But the only thing that was wrong, the butterfly was crawling. It couldn't fly. And then the boy asked his father, well, Dad, I, I helped, the, butter I, I, I helped the, the little worm out of the cocoon, and, and, and it got out. And now I, I'm watching. It's a butterfly, and it's crawling, and it's not flying. What's wrong? He said, the dad said, the struggle inside the cocoon is what allows the butterfly to de develop the strength in its wings so that it can fly. But when you made it too easy for the butterfly, the butterfly is now fully developed, but it can't fly because it didn't develop the strength that it needed through the struggle. When, 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 we, when we help people out of the cocoon and they're struggling and, and they're not going forward and it seems like they're never going to take off and, and, and become all that God said that should be. So the worst thing that you can do is cut them free. When God says the struggle is what's going to help them never to be here again. Now, when you get an opportunity in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, this is. The book of Acts is a hinge book, like a door hinge. Things that happen in the book of Acts never occur again, many of the things. This is when the church was starting, lots of signs and wonders. Churches were established, the church of Galatia, the church of Ephesus, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Philippi, the church of Corinth, all started, and now Paul continues to develop the ministry as a missionary, him and Silas and his ministry team, and then he goes back 
And he learns the very unique problems that each of these churches are having. And so the churches are started in Acts, but the epistles were written to the churches that were started to explain, now, how do you act? How do you conduct yourself? How do you, they put structure around giving. How, do the, how does the church effectively give to the needy and not to the greedy? So the first thing that we learn in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, verse, actually 1 through 16, we're not going to read all the verses. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Here's how you know when you should help people. Here's how the process should start. Finally, my brethren, pray for us, Paul says, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that it may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. So the first thing, Paul is preparing to serve God through the gifts and the resources that the Lord has provided for him. So what did he say? Before I do, before I do one thing, with the gifts, with the resources that God has given me, he says, pray. See that? He said, pray for me. Pray for me that I will know how to effectively, the scripture says, do not cast your pearls among swine. There are people who will not appreciate you because they don't value what God values. It doesn't make you less valuable, your gifts or talents less valuable. You just are using what God gave you in the wrong context. You can try to fly a boat. It ain't flying, baby. But if you get in a plane and you didn't just have a, a sleepover at the Holiday Inn, and you actually have a navigator's flyer license. That's, so your gifts are not for everybody in every place and everything. So Paul says, pray for me that I can use the resources and the gifts. So when it comes to how do you help people, the first thing that you need to do is to pray before you act. These are God's resources. These are God's resources. He says, pray that the word, see, when we give stuff, we're not just, uh, 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 it's not just uh, uh, some kind of monetary, oh, it's their birthday, give them something. It's Christmas, give them something. No, no, no. When a Christian gives of their home, of their, put somebody at their table, it's just, it's just a spiritual act of service. It's sacred. And so he says, pray that God's word will be will be shared, that, will, that it will activate quickly, and that it will be honored. So when I give somebody something to eat, I'm giving them something as I pray with, with the intention that God is going to use my act to communicate his word, and that it will be honored so that people will see my good works and glorify Jesus the scripture. I am a written epistle. I am being read by people. So when I'm helping somebody, I'm praying because I want the word of God to be used through the bread, through, the, through whatever you're giving them. I want them to get the word. If we, if we give them anything less than the word, then we just, we just help them to be crippled. 
And he said, why, 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 why do you need to pray about the resources of the word going quickly and, and that, is, that the word of God is honored? He said, some reject the word. And others are like you who receive the word. So pray that when, we, when I use my gifts and talents, that the word will touch people quickly. It will be honored, causing them to want to know what is it about me that makes me different and that it will be received. When we do this thing for Thanksgiving, we're praying ahead of time that every family that receives a basket, that the word will come go quickly, that the word will travel with those baskets and people will honor the word and they will receive it and come to know the Savior that gave us the gift of eternal life. So the first thing you need to do is Paul said, pray, pray. We need to be, we, we need to get serious about prayer. It works. You ain't getting in your car without keys. You understand that the keys are what start the ignition, and without the ignition being started, the car, don't matter how new it is, how, how, how up-to-date the equipment, if you don't have the key, the key to the heart of God is prayer. Paul says, pray. And then he does the second thing. Expect God to do his part. Has he ever lied? Has he ever gone back on his promises? David said, I've been young, but now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Paul says, but my God shall what? Supply all. How many? All. All of your needs according to whose riches? His riches through Christ Jesus. Expect God to say, but, but God, in verse 3, is faithful. But the Lord is faithful, he says, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And he will, and we will have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we commanded you. Now may the Lord direct your heart unto the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now, I could break that down, but the, the point, the first part of that verse, God is faithful. He will do what he promised. Somebody's waiting on a promise. I want you to know that the devil who will attack the promise. The devil is coming after your faith. The devil wants you to be double-minded. The devil wants you to question, can I, wait? Can, I, can I really rely on the Lord? I've been waiting for a long time. But I want you to know, though you're waiting for the long, a long time, the Bible said, but they that wait on the Lord, if you wait on the Lord, he said, I will. Don't you find your strength in your waiting? He said, I will give you strength like eagle's wings, and I will cause you to mount up. You will run and not be weary. You still running? I know you're waiting, but you're running. You're walking and you're not weary because the Lord is sustaining you. You can expect God to keep his promise. So when we're giving, God's going to do his part. The word will never return unto him void. Expect God to do his part. Identify the needy, not the greedy. When you get a chance, verses 6 through 16. Who are the needy? Paul talks about this. There, there was a belief in the Thessalonican church. Paul only taught, that, taught at that city for three, for three weeks. And he had to leave because of persecution. 
and he taught them every major doctrine in the Bible is in First and Second Thessalonians. He did it in three weeks. And so some of them, now that Paul is in prison, were saying that Jesus had already come. And, but they had a problem because some of their loved ones had died. So they had a question, what happens to people who die before Jesus returns? But more than that, there were some in the church that said, since he's coming, I don't have to work. Since he's coming, I can gravy train off the church. Since he's coming, I can depend on other Christians to take care of me. And so Paul says, I've, I've heard that there's some who are idle in the church. I've heard that there are people in the church who quit their jobs. I heard that people are busy, busy bodying. So he writes this section. You want to read that. You want to read that. As the world turns, it's not new. Uh, uh, reality TV ain't new. The Kardashian mess ain't new. It's right in the scripture. Somebody say amen. You want some Jerry Springer? Look at the word. That's an amazing thing. People are dying watching Jerry Springer. I don't be watching no Jerry Springer. I'm getting ready to go to you know, one place or the other. I know where I'm going, but me watching Jerry Springer, that's the, those are the loved ones. Okay, amen. The first, how do you identify the needy? The first group that you should consider are people that God puts on your heart. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, when you get a chance, write that down. Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 10. Who is God burdening your heart about? Is there somebody in this church that you haven't seen? Sometimes the need is not about lack. Somebody, somebody, I needed encouragement today. I, when I was coming to church, I cried my way to church. I got here. I had an assignment, but tears were coming that rolling out my eyes. I was met at the door by three men, not one. God knew I needed encouragement today. There are 22 people who died this week. That's just, the, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Sometimes what God is telling you, the person that you play with your heart, they just need to hear, get a text message, get a phone call. Oh, it's your birthday? Your birthday? We can celebrate our own, but the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. Who's God burdening your heart with? Well, I'm going through all of this. I can't pay. Sometimes the Lord is waiting for you to trust him with your two mites so that he can show you that I'm going to bless you because you trusted me. With the, with, with, like, the, that, like the woman, the, uh, the woman uh, uh, that fed Elijah, the prophet, the Canaanite woman. Okay, let me, let me run on. People that God has placed on your heart, people that have fallen on hard times. Access for. There are people who can't pay their electric bill. People who can't pay their groceries. There are people who need you to go pick up their groceries. There's somebody who needs you to come wash their dishes. Do you know anybody like that? Well, I don't live in that kind of neighborhood. Well, you keep on living. Your neighborhood, you're going to start seeing hearses drive up to your neighborhood. You're going to start seeing hospice drive up to your neighborhood. People that have fallen on hard times. People that cannot repay you. This is what gets us. Luke, this is in the Bible. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. When I give somebody money, don't, don't, don't record this, but you I don't expect it back. I want it back. But most of the time, Jesus said, invite those who cannot invite you to lunch. 
bring them over for dinner when they can't, they don't even have a house to take you to for dinner. They don't even know where their next meal is coming from. Invite, help people that can't repay you, who aren't going to have sense enough to even say thank you. There are people, hey, at least could have said thank you. And now you don't let the devil steal your blessing because you did what God said do. They don't have to say thank you. Just be obedient. You have an audience of one to please. Oh, it breaks my heart that we're so, so involved and entangled with our own thoughts that we are insensitive that people are around us that are contemplating suicide. But we're so focused on us, you can't even see it. We're self-centered. People that cannot repay you. People who are in good standings with the church. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it said, start with the household of God. Who's in good standing with the church? People that tithe, people that are faithful in their ministries. Start there. Well, I ain't never tithe, but the church, ain't the church there to help us? You know, you go to your bank account, you didn't make any deposits, what's going to be in there? Oh, no, let me pray over my code. <laughs> and they said if you claim it in Jesus' name, and if you touch and agree, let me get my wife and my kids and my grandkids, and you're going to touch, your, touch the keypad, and you're going to pray over the code. Guess what you're going to get after you prayed over the code? Zeros. You put nothing in, you get nothing back. I'm not saying that the ch- our church hasn't helped people who don't help. We help people that aren't even part of this church Amen. on the basis of your testimony. People who are your enemies. Romans chapter 12 says, if thou, if vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Oh, I know they're hungry. They just got the electric turned off. I know they're cold because they, 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 their utilities are run by electric. I know they got to be hungry because they water heat. I just saw them carry the water heater out. And sure enough, they got to be hungry because they got cut off from food sin because they've been cheating the, the government. Oh, God finally sicked them. He got them. And oh, glory. No, 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 no. The Bible said if you're all, your enemy's hungry, feed them. Not stuff that's five years outdated. Stuff you wouldn't even give Fido. You wouldn't even give your dog that food. You grabbing stuff that you could have found in the basement, in the attic, under your, you know, out there in the field, giving it to people. I gave the last I had, the last that you didn't want. Your enemies. I brought her lunch. I wish I would in the name of Jesus. I, I, I went and got a cup of water for them when they could have gotten it for themselves. I walked in on them talking about me. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So you need to help your enemies. Help the elderly and the widows. And we talked about that. People in our church, just bless them. Find a senior citizen in this church and bless them. And most of them have worked so hard all their lives, they're going to tell you, no, no, no. And as they're telling me no, I'm saying, yes, yes, yes. God told me to do this. Now, he didn't tell me to tell everybody in the church. He didn't tell me to pat myself on the back. But he told me to bless you. 
And if you don't receive what God told me to do, then you rock, you're taking my blessing away. When's the time you blessed, last time you blessed somebody who didn't give you something back? I'm talking about the people you married to. Are you loving, are you loving unconditionally? Are you expecting something in return? If you don't get what you're expecting in return, you're shutting that down. Somebody say amen. We're almost done. Here's the last group. People that are rich materially but poor spiritually. We often see people driving in these fine cars, living in big houses. You would never know how miserable they are, how lonely they feel. And so instead of putting your milk to, the, the, to that cow's nipple to get what you can get out of them, you go with the spirit. I'm giving them something. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm giving them something. And, people, and they will be so shocked that you're not there with your hand out. When's the last time you gave something to somebody that you thought didn't need it, but they really just wanted somebody to care enough to be with them? Now, there's too much more to the sermon, and I'm not going to share any more of it. But I want you to understand something as you stand to your feet. I talked about who, who the needy are, who the, uh, I should say, I should tell you who the, who the greedy are. Uh, people that won't work. People that are lazy. People that don't finish what they start. The Bible says if a man won't work, don't feed him. I, I was coming out of a, a uh, uh, going to get some Kentucky Fried again. And, uh, and, and a brother said, I'm hungry. Could you, help, could you help me out? And I said, I'll, I'm not in the habit of giving anybody money. I'm not going to help you with your drug problem. But I said, I will buy you lunch. He said, I don't eat chicken. I said, well, brother, you must not want lunch today because I'm getting chicken today. So don't help people that are lazy, that won't work. People that are ungrateful. There are people that you can help for years and they can't remember a thing that you did. Not like you trying, you're not trying to keep score, but you say, you never did anything for me. Whose clothes are you wearing? Well, whose bed are you sleeping in? <laughs> whose food did you just see? Yeah, but, but, but your boss gave, okay, all right. Ungrateful people. They're greedy, and they have chosen. Many of the people that are living in the Sunday Breakfast Mission right now are not there because people don't love them. They're there because people that love them cannot help them want to help themselves. Now, we continue to help because we may be that light, we may be that voice that will ultimately bring them out. As I thought about this sermon, I want you all to know that I've experienced this. I know what it's like to be married with three kids and have to go down because a job that was promised to you, you didn't get it. Now I'm in the welfare line. Seminary graduate applying for welfare, social services. I know what it's like to get up two days before Christmas and look outside and the car that you're paying on has been repossessed. I thought it was stolen. No. It was taken, it was taken away. 
I know what it's like to look at a bank account and they're all zeros and nobody to ask to help you. I know what it's like to not know how you're going to get a utility turned back on. But I thank God for the church. I don't know how many times in the hardest of times, I would just, the Lord said, go to church, just get to Bible study. And sometimes I just had enough gas to make my way to church. There was not a single time when I ever left and somebody didn't open up my hand and put money in my hand. I didn't ask for it, but God, but God, he met my need in the church. When I was blowing in the wind, when I didn't know if I could make it, if God was really trustworthy, God demonstrated through his church that his word is true. I didn't always have a nice car. <laughs> I had the Flintstone kind. You could almost put your foot through the bottom of the car. But God, but God, that may not be your testimony, but I want you to understand, but for the grace of God. So we should never be so callous, never be so haughty, never be so, uh, uh, so, so superior in our thinking of ourselves that it couldn't be you. It couldn't be me. I want you to know something about this man named Jesus. He left heaven's glory rich that he might become poor for us. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. The foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but Jesus never owned a house. He only owned the very clothes on his back. King of kings, the Lord of glory, came that we, like him, might serve. And in so doing, we meet the, need of the, we meet the needs of the needy and not the greedy. Father, bless you.